Thank you for listening to Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed my podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. I also wanted to plug my YouTube channel, where I'm posting videos every Friday under the hashtag FinnApprovedFridays. In the videos, I demonstrate how I do everyday tasks and tell you if the items are Finn approved. You can find my YouTube channel by searching one thumb L, that's O-N-E, thumb E-L, or clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and on to the show. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today with me, I have Lauren Smith. She is author and host of the Date and Peace podcast. And she actually knows Taylor Alina, who I had on way, way back. And that's how she found me. So thank you, Lauren, for joining me. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I loved in your email that you already uh, prepared the two things that you love about yourself. So can you share that with everyone? I love that you came prepared. Yes, I am so excited because recently I made the courageous decision to join a co-ed adult soccer team. And to me, this is like a testament to my self-love because when I was younger, I was on a soccer team and there was a lot of mean girls, but I absolutely loved soccer. And I remember one time, one of the girls on my team was like making fun of my soccer ball because I had practiced so much with it that like the little the leather patches were starting yeah. to come off. So she was like saying how it was all tattered and gross. And she had the nerve to throw it into the porta potty that was at the practice field. And of course it got nasty and gross. And I was just like, this is the the last straw. So I pretty much just stopped playing soccer after that and had this idea in my head that if I went to join a co-ed team that I was going to be bullied again, or that the people were going to be mean, but I went and surprise. They're all really nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Is and it I like, love it. Is it like for your work or your local town or? Yeah, it's just a township. I don't, I'm in New Jersey. They have a okay. an organization called Playmore and they organize all different adult sports. It's so much fun. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. How old were you when that happened? Like elementary, middle? In high school. Oh, I think high it school. was like my senior or my sophomore year rather. So then I decided not to play soccer my junior and senior year, even though I had been playing it since I was like five, all because of social anxiety, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mean girls are no joke. They're no joke. Mm-hmm. And what is the second thing that you love about yourself? Well, it, it kind of ties into the first one, actually. Um, I love that I'm able to show up authentically more and more on average. 
in high school, I cared way too much about fitting in. Like I really wanted to be a plastic, you know, if we're talking yep. about mean girls here. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I did pretty well. I ended up coming in from a Catholic school for eight years into a public high school. And by my junior year, I was best friends with the most popular plastic. I mean, I tell people that my life was literally mean girls because it was. We had like a really big fight at a party, just like the movie. (laughs) And uh, it just took me a really long time to realize that I can be lovable and that I'm actually more interesting and more valuable to the world when I'm just being myself. It's a hard belief to untangle. Yeah, it is. It is, especially in today's society where you're told you have to look a certain way or dress a certain way or say the certain thing or be this or be that. And if you dare step outside those societal norms, you're weird or bad or whatever the ism of the day is. And yeah, that that's a hard thing to just love yourself as you are meant to be without all that societal pressure. Mm-hmm. It's so worth it too. So if anybody is at that point where they're like struggling, keep going, man. Cause it's, it gets so much easier when you can just say, screw all these people. I don't care what they think. Yeah. Yeah. When you can get to the point of just, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm going to be me and you know, I don't have any more fucks to give and here I am. (laughs) Well, so I actually wanted to start with the speed bump that wasn't on your email, but was very intriguing to me, if you don't mind. Do you mind sharing the one? Okay. Yeah. So for a long time in my life, I, well, not that long. It was probably a year and a half. I was a digital nomad. So I lived and worked remotely from either Europe or Latin America, mostly. And I was planning my next big trip to Playa del Carmen in Mexico. I wanted to spend six weeks there and just live the time of my life, got the beach, you know, everything that you need, practicing my crappy Spanish. And on day six, my armpit started to twitch, like the muscle in my Mm -hmm. armpit. And I was like, this is really weird because it's not like a consistent twitch, you know, it seemed to be twitching with my heartbeat. Okay. And I actually got a pacemaker implanted when I was in high school. This is fascinating too, because like obviously there was a lot of like tumultuous shit happening psychologically to me in high school. My senior year, uh, the doctor was like, "We don't know what's going on, but you have complete heart block, and you need a pacemaker on Monday." They did every test; they don't know what it was. So just naturally, the pacemaker battery runs out. Yeah, and I knew that before I was going on my digital nomad adventure, I was like, huh, I should probably check my battery, make sure I'm good to go, you know, leave the country where that medical um, access is. And I had like two years left on my battery. So when this twitching started to show up that matched my heartbeat rate, I was like, okay, now I'm freaking out because I feel like there's something wrong here because I know my battery is supposed to be lasting. Luckily, science is the shit. And I have this little like, monitor that I can take with me anywhere because my pacemaker connects to Wi-Fi. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I could basically send a Wi-Fi transmission with the help of this app on my phone to my doctor back in the States. And they were able to tell, I don't even know how, that one of the leads, which is like the wire basically Mm -hmm. that connects the battery to the heart, had failed. And there's two leads on my particular device. 
So what was happening is that it was pushing all of the electric current through the one remaining lead, and it was literally shocking my muscle, and that's what the twitch was. Oh, dang. Yeah, crazy, right? They were like, and by the way, you only have three more weeks left on your battery because it's like using up so much more current now to get through. So they're like, yeah, you should probably come home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you should probably probably do that. (laughs) So my six-week adventure in Mexico only lasted six days or five days or something. And I was able to come home. The surgery was scheduled. And because I had gotten that pacemaker put in when I was so young, the way that the body responded back then is it just made a shit ton of scar tissue. I guess I don't really know. I'm not a scientist, guys. I'm a designer. I don't know the the terminology for all this. But in my mind, I was like, no worries. It's going to be like the other two times that I had my battery replaced. Now, granted, this is the first time I'm having the leads replaced, which is a much more extensive Mm -hmm. surgery. But I told my boss that I was going to be back to work in a day and a half. (laughs) I show up. It was like a several hour surgery. I don't remember, obviously, because I was knocked out. Yep, yep. But I I had to have four bags of transfusion or like, I forget how many. Blood or, blood or IV? Um, I don't, they said it was like a couple liters of blood that I lost and a okay. certain number of bags. Sorry, guys. I, because no, no, of you're all good. The, the drugs, I don't remember the specifics of it. I <laughs> I, I would have written it down. But what also happened is that I had a blood clot in my uh, like elbow area, like at the forearm of my left arm. And they accidentally cut a nerve when they were trying to scrape the leads out. Cause all that scar tissue was like up underneath my collarbone. And they were like, we had to just rush cause we were running out of blood. And I guess the, uh, the anesthesia doesn't last forever. So they were like, fuck it. We just got to get this out. And they started cutting. So I was in the worst pain. Like I've never had trouble sleeping. And I could not sleep because the pain was so bad. Yeah. The medicine that they gave me for this nerve pain didn't do shit. However, I am a huge proponent now or like advocate of, have you ever heard of this thing, EFT tapping? For all the scientists I, listening I, that I've are heard probably of it. rolling their eyes. I, I've heard of it. I've never done it. But it's isn't it the thing where like you say something and you tap like certain parts of your face and then like your body, right. To regulate emotions or pain or things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically like touching different acupressure points. Okay. And I had learned it for more of what you're saying, like releasing emotions, helping you to, to like decrease anxiety. So I was in that state of like, this pain is so overwhelming. I'm going to do anything that I can. And I started tapping and I swear to God, the pain went away more than the oxycodone, more than the Tylenol extra strength. Like it, as long as I was tapping, the pain was gone. It got to the point where I had a bruise on my hand from where I was tapping because of the blood thinners that I was on to treat the clot to the point where my mom was like, you need to stop doing that. (laughs) Like I can't, I couldn't. Yeah. Cause it was the only thing that could help me like relax enough to sleep. So the the pain of that, the, the not knowing what was going on, like, of course, I, I was afraid that the blood clot could have turned bad. Luckily, it went away just like a normal blood clot. But the bicep, um, like my entire arm and my bicep was affected because of that cut nerve. I had no strength in my bicep. Like if I 
had to pick up a glass of coffee, I had to use my other hand. I actually walked around the house with my good hand holding up my bad arm because it hurt to just let my arm fall to gravity because it was tugging on that nerve. So then I was like losing even more strength in my arm because I wasn't using it at all. So I just, I feel like this was a big speed bump that I wanted to bring up because it was the only moment in my life. Great. I'm so grateful for it, but it made me realize that at any moment you could lose something like an arm, you could lose something like the ability to get a good night's rest. And it's, it just helped me to be so grateful for any of the little things. Like the fact that I can do yoga again and get into a downward dog. Like I, I couldn't do that for a while. Or the fact that I can, uh, one of my friends noticed they like, I went and got everybody this big order of Starbucks and I had two, uh, what do you call those little like trays or whatever yeah. things? Yeah. I had two of them filled with drinks, like eight drinks. And they were like, oh my gosh, did you want help? And I was like, no, I'm so grateful that I can do this because I can hold up something that weighs more than half a pound in my arm. Uh, So that was uh, something that really helps me have like an existential moment and be like, what is it that I really value? Like, why am I here? You know? And after, after that speed bump, I realized I don't want to be traveling anymore. Okay. I made the decision after I healed to get a place local near my family. I have a new car, I pay rent, and I honestly have no real desire to go on a vacation. Like, sure, great. But like, I feel like I've traveled enough. I just want to really focus on building roots here. It was almost like um, the people who've had like near-death experiences, like that type of mentality change where you weren't necessarily, it didn't sound like you were necessarily at death's door, like, because they fixed the pacemaker and things like that. But the complications afterwards forced you to reevaluate what you were grateful for, what was really important to you. And for a lot of people, when they go through a tough medical, whatever that medical thing is, that lays them up in some way and they can't be, they become reliant on others for whatever period of time, they get very appreciative when they're, a lot of times when they're healthy again. Yeah, for sure. It was a definite mindset shift. I feel like the the biggest thing that did help me to see things from a new perspective was when I was up one of those nights, couldn't sleep. I got out my laptop and I looked at meditations to help with pain relief. Yep. And what I found consistently was a lot of loving kindness meditations where you extend kindness for others, whether they're your enemies or your loved ones, and you and you give it to yourself as well. And there was something about that that helped me to see that we're all suffering. Sure, Mm -hmm. I might be in pain right now, but there's people out there that are in worse pain than me or less pain than me, or even my friends that call me to check on me. I would like go on and on about how much I was in pain. And then I'd be like, oh shit, how are you? Like what's new in your life? And they would tell me things that they were suffering about. Sure, it might not have been physical pain, but all humans are going through it. And that helped me to be like, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a common humanity here that's linking us all together. And I found so much peace in that. Yeah. And I think what happens to us sometimes when we're in our own pain, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, whatever, when we recognize that other people are in pain too, whatever their pain, even if it's different, 
as long as we don't fall into the trap of the comparison game of, oh, I shouldn't talk about my pain because mine is worse or yours is worse. As long as we don't fall into that trap, empathizing with others and really having that empathy, I feel like really helps us to grow not only within ourselves, but also in our relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it got me out of my ego spiral. The woe is me. I'm such a victim, you know, and I could just be like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm going to get through it and I can look to other people and see how they've been thriving despite the fact that all humans are struggling. Yeah. And, and nerve pain is no joke. I've had nerve pain. And for some people that nerve pain, like the pharmaceutical nerve uh, medication that they've given me, um, it doesn't work. Like I know that they say it does. Uh, I always find it funny when doctors are like, oh, this really works. And I'm like, really? Have you had this surgery? Like, have you had this medication? They're like, well, no, but I know it works. And I'm like, sure you do. Sure you do. But yeah, nerve pain is no joke. Hopefully, eventually it comes back like with the right nutrition and things like that. But nerves can take years, guys. Like, so if you're having neuropathy, I feel you. Um, There isn't a magical Isn't it like it grows... Doesn't it grow at like one millimeter a day or something? I feel like that's even too much. I feel like it's almost like a millimeter a month. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like a millimeter a day is almost too fast. Yeah. Like it's, it's something that you're like, how? And if it's totally severed, not only does it have to like grow to reconnect, but then it has to then form those reconnections, which is like a whole nother process and. Mm-hmm. Well, I got the surgery done in March of last year and okay. it is now almost June and yep. I still don't have full feeling back in my fingers. Yeah. And they cut it up near your clavicle, right? Your collarbone. Yeah. 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 It's, you're young. It'll probably happen, but it it's going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it getting better. You know, I feel like uh, the the feeling is a lot more. I can feel more subtle details now than I had like even just two months ago. So I'm hopeful, very yeah. hopeful. I'm grateful. So because I have different uh, nerve endings in my hands, question for you. If you have your hand down on like a blanket, does it feel different with your thumb and index versus the rest of your fingers or like your sweatshirt or whatever? Like, does it feel different to you? Yeah, it feels rougher. Okay. Like, so uh, like it- not, not pleasant. <laughs> Because if I put my left hand in like the grass or whatever, and my right hand in the grass, it's two totally different sensations for me. Not just like rougher; it's two totally different sensations. But I can't articulate beyond that what it is. So I Ooh, had to let ask. me try again. <laughs> let me see. Yeah, it just feels like it feels sharper, but at the same time duller because yep. I'm not able to feel like the subtleties of it. Like you're wearing like one of those thin winter gloves, and you know something is there, but you can't actually feel it. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's crazy. I've spent way too much time playing on things, trying <laughs> to figure out how to articulate this to people. Cause my doctors be like, well, what does it feel like? Like, cause they're trying to help. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to come up with the words. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad that you're, it's healing that you notice it's getting better. Do you do anything or trying to take any supplements or anything to try and help it? Or is it just it'll grow when it grows or what are you doing for it? Well, I did do three months of physical therapy, which really helped me to get that bicep 
bicep strength back at like as fast as possible. I also have a little gripper that I I pull in my hands while I'm on Zoom meetings to just build up the strength in my fingers. I do try to exercise, thankfully, for my co-ed soccer team. Yes, (laughs) yes. I do need to eat well in order to be able to show up and do my best. So nothing in specific, but hope I'm hopeful. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know you mentioned a couple other speed bumps. I don't want to like lead you and make you, you know, choose where to go. So where do you want to go next? Sure. I'll start with telling you about how this one breakup that I had Mm -hmm. completely changed my life in terms of like how I'm showing up authentically. Mm -hmm. It all started when he dumped me at Disney World. The most magical place on earth. I know, right? (laughs) Well, luckily it wasn't in the park. So at least I can say that like Disney World still is like this little slice of magic. But yeah, it was a not a great way to end the day. Let's say that. And World's in Florida, right? World's Florida land is California. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I had met this guy. I call him Marco when I was still doing my digital nomad thing. I had met him in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And I was like, okay, this guy has got a really sexy accent. He had light green eyes, dark (laughs) hair. I was like, you know what? This is the kind of guy I feel like I should want. Like he's the guy that probably is going to finally sweep me off my feet. So we spent like a hot and heavy couple of days together before I had to leave. I just so happened to be going back to New Jersey at the time, which is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. But we were really feeling each other and we were like, let's not have this be the end. Let's plan to get together again. So we wanted to meet up about a month later in a new country. We were going to meet in 30 days in Uruguay. So here I am landing in the plane in Philadelphia, checking my phone, you know, like how, how you do when you land in your flight. And I saw that Marco had sent me an email titled minus 29. He was counting down the days until we were going to see each other again. And I opened it and it was like the sweetest romantic poem in like his kind of adorable broken English. So I wrote him a, a cheesy poem back and we did that for like the next 29 days. Every day we exchanged like a love note. We also Zoomed and like sent mm-hmm. text messages and stuff. But we basically crafted this totally cringeworthy romance (laughs) novel of like how dedicated we were to each other and how perfect our life was going to be when we met up in Uruguay. So the 30 days is up. Here I am arriving in Montevideo, Uruguay to see Marco. And after only a few days, I realized that this was not my person. Instead of taking the time to really get to know each other or do do something other than fantasize. Yeah. I realized that what I did was I had stuck myself in a foreign country in a tiny B- Airbnb with someone I truly knew nothing about. And you would think that at like in that position, any normal human would be like, okay, you know, you didn't make a great choice here. No worries. It's fine to go home. I did not let myself leave. I like dug my feet in the sand more. And I was like, no, this has to work. It has to be this fantasy. I need it to work. And I started sacrificing. I started to give too much to force things to work. And it just kind of went from bad to worse to terrible. So by the time we ended up together in Florida, because we were kind of like country hopping at this point, 
it was so bad that I was like excited for any excuse to not talk to him. So my mom and my (laughs) sister were coming down from New Jersey to visit us. We were all going to go to Disney World together. So when we were bouncing around in Epcot, drinking in every country, Marco was the last thing on my mind. I was definitely ignoring him and not being great. I I accept my responsibility in this. So at some point I noticed that he was not really having a great time. And I was like, you know what, Marco, if you're, if you're not feeling it, like you can just go back to the hotel, you know, like, I I see this isn't fun for you. Sorry, but not sorry. I'm staying. Yeah. (laughs) So he did, he did. He took the ferry back to the hotel and me and my mom and my sister ended up closing down the park. We watched the fireworks living our best lives. So by the time we get back to the hotel, I go back to my room. And my mom and my sister go down the hall to their room. And I open the door expecting to have like this big fight with Mm -hmm. Marco. And instead I open it up and I was like, wow, it's really clean in here. I guess he's like doing a peace offering. It's like cleaned up, you know, maybe he got bored. But upon inspecting further, it's not that he cleaned up. It's just that all of his shit was gone. He had left. There was no sign of him. I had no idea where he was. No text, no nothing. I couldn't even be in the room anymore because it was just too overwhelming to accept the truth that he abandoned me. You know, in my mind, abandoned, but he had a lot of good reasons to leave because it was just a shitty relationship. So I ran down the hall to my mom and my sister's room and I opened the door and they knew immediately from looking at my face what, what happened. And I just said one thing to them. Why does this keep happening to me? Because I like, it wasn't the first time when I felt like I worked so hard to try to like make something happen. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, if I could only just love this person good enough, right? finally I'll get what I need back from them. And it just was this realization that really freaking sucks to say, they keep leaving me because of me, because I'm doing something. It's not that I'm not lovable. It's not that I did something quote wrong. It's just that I'm not showing up in a way that's authentic because I knew from moment zero, basically, when Mm -hmm. I arrived in Uruguay that he wasn't for me. It wasn't right. And maybe he knew that too, but neither of us could admit that we were better off without each other. Yeah. Yeah. Having that, uh, those realizations, one that you're part of the quote unquote problem, right? And then- but also recognizing that you keep putting yourself in this perpetual cycle and like recognizing that you have to stop that cycle, but stopping that cycle requires you to take responsibility for the cycle, which also isn't fun. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. But the reason that it's not fun is because then you have to face like feelings that aren't so fun. So for me, it was like facing the unworthiness, the fear that maybe I am quote, wrong or unlovable. And even though that's not true, those feelings are still there. That belief was still put in my head. So in order for you to unravel it, you have to face it. So it was like, I, on some level was more willing to F up my love life, really like quote, wasting time in relationships that weren't good for me because that felt more safe or more fun than facing the shame and the unworthiness. And that's messed up. Because all you have to do is look at it once thoroughly with the help of a therapist, with friends, with all the different ways that are out there for us these days. And then you get over that hump. And now I can show up more authentic. 
So as, and that's so funny, I did not use the word hump on purpose there. So (laughs) yeah, as a result of overcoming that speed bump, I guess, I actually ended up in my breakup solitude, realizing that now that I was willing to face my fears and my anxiety about love, I realized that I didn't not only want to be dating Marco, but that I didn't want to be dating men in general. (laughs) I am now 36 years old, queer, out in the open, living my best life because of Marco, because I finally had like that rude awakening. I think that if he would have dumped me anywhere else, maybe it wouldn't have been as impactful. But having several beers in me after being, well, just kidding, I don't drink beer, but drinks in me after that day of Epcot finally opened up that space in my heart to truthfully say to my mom and my sisters, it's me and that's okay because now I can do something about it. And what I did was I came out of the closet and it's like, it's amazing. It's life is so much better. It's easier. Sex is better. Of course, it's a win-win on all accounts. I feel like sometimes the, I don't want to say the worst breakups because that implies that they're always the worst. Maybe in the moment, the worst breakups sometimes lead to the biggest realizations if we let them. And on the other side of that, once you thoroughly work through it and not just like jump and try and speed past all the icky stuff you don't want to deal with, that's when I think if you truly dive deep into why that happened, you can really find your authentic self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it was not easy. I ended up having to do a lot of journaling and self-assessment because I obviously I didn't know what I was doing wrong because I kept getting into these relationships over and over again. So when I got to that point where I could say, okay, there's something that I'm doing. Well, what is it? And I didn't know. So what I ended up doing to find out was just monitoring literally everything I was doing so that when I started to go out on more dates again, I became like a little computer. Like I would go out on the date, come home and just write everything down. Like I literally wrote it down in a spreadsheet of like, okay, Lauren, how are you feeling about this? What did you text back? What do you want to say? But what are you actually going to say? You know, like trying to get in between all the thoughts all the emotions that come up to figure out, well, what am I doing on default that's not helping me? And what could I choose instead that's actually going to get me what I want? Do you think that uh, those mean girls and things like that in high school, do you think that's part of the reason you weren't living your authentic self is because you were like in this box and then it just kind of progressed as you got older? Like, you're like, oh, well, I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable in this box. And that's what society thinks I should be in. So I'm just going to stay here, even though I'm not really happy when I think about it. Yeah, it's sad, but true. Yes. I think I grew up a people pleaser on so many levels, people pleasing for popularity, to keep the peace with people, to make other people happy, and to just push all my needs to the back burner. So yeah, when it came to making any decision on my life, whether it was the gender of the person that I date or you know, whether or not I play soccer, I didn't feel like it was safe for me to choose myself because I thought people would abandon me or that I wouldn't be lovable, you know, all those feelings again. Yeah. Yeah. So really it was, I was letting the fear of facing my emotions dictate 
what opportunities I would allow in my life. But now that you face them, now that you see, hey, I'm gay and that's fine. I'm not a bad person. People are still going to love me. There's a whole amazing community of people that are going to support me. Those feelings are now out in the light and they don't have to be this like dark cloud stopping me from going after what my heart really wants. Yeah. I feel like when you recognize who you truly want to be, whatever that is, and you become completely unashamed of it, it opens you up not just in the part that you're not ashamed of anymore, but in everything. So I'm curious, it sounds like you started the soccer after you kind of recognized who you were and embraced that. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually only joined very recently. Yeah. And okay, this is another one. So I have been suffering from migraines ever since I was in high school, probably mm-hmm. because of that social anxiety, you know, probably yeah. there could be many reasons for why I was getting migraines. Keyword was, yeah, I'm was. so happy to report that I have now found a medicine that actually helps. And I realized too, that the, you know, I've tried so many medicines in my life and I, I wanted, I do believe that medicines do offer different things and, and there could be a medicine that's unlike any other, that is this magic drug. But I also do think that there's a certain amount of medicines working that has to do with the mind and the body being willing to allow it to help you. So I want to, I'm just like, so happy to report that I finally allowed a medicine to help me. I found this drug that I could take the med, the, the meds and the, and the migraine doesn't come and completely derail my life. The reason that this is relevant to soccer is because I wouldn't play soccer. I wouldn't even like go to hot yoga or do anything that was too intense because it would trigger a migraine. So it was almost like whatever shifted in my brain that allowed me to let go of the need to have migraines, like whatever purpose it was serving me, that has coincided with everything else that I've been freeing myself to be in this life. So I do agree with you. I think that Claiming my sexuality and stepping out into the world authentically is so healing. And it's, it's taking a little while because this was about three years ago that this happened with me and Marco. So it's like slowly I'm seeing that I'm making choices, like the decision to, to get an apartment instead of keeping traveling. Yes. The decision to play soccer, but it's even smaller things. Like when, for example, the other day I went to get a coffee from the the cafe And I wanted a dirty chai and I told him a small. And by the time my drink was ready, they handed it to me and it was an iced dirty chai. Now I didn't want an iced, I wanted a hot coffee. The old Lauren, the people pleaser Lauren would have been like, oh, it's okay. No worries. I'll have it. You know, but the, the bigger Lauren was like, you know what, there's a way that I can still say this and be kind. So I looked at them and I was like, oh, you know, I, I really was hoping for a hot coffee vibe this morning. Is it okay if 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 you can like take this back? And they were like, oh, no problem. Thank yeah. you for telling us. Yeah. Most people won't say it. And I'm like, wow, like the only person that wasn't giving me permission to be myself was me. Yeah. And I think that la- that part of you can still express your needs and your wants in a kind way and still advocate for yourself in a kind way you know 
it's not that you have to push him away and it's just reframing it or rewording it. And for the most part, if you're kind and you're okay about it, the people are going to respond in a way like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Just like the people at the coffee shop. Yeah, it was an honest mistake. I mean, I didn't specifically say hot and they never asked me to specify. So yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. It's the beauty of communication is just getting clearer and working on things. Yeah. And then I wonder too about um, the migraines going away. The They've shown how mental like anxieties or nervousness or things like that can actually show up in the body. So um, kids who are really stressed, they'll often say, oh, I have a stomach ache or they're upset or they're nervous. They'll say, oh, I have a stomach ache, but they won't tell you that they're stressed or upset. They just have all these stomach aches and the doctors will go and be like, oh, you have this and like all these things wrong with their stomach. Well, no, the kid's just stressed out and should probably go see a counselor. So, but it's not just stomach aches, right? It can be stomach aches or migraines or back pain. Um, There's a reason there's the phrase, you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders when you have head and neck tension. So these mental feelings that we have can actually manifest physically in our body. And it makes me wonder if that migraine with some sort of protective mechanism for you of like, oh, I have a migraine. Sorry, I can't go out. Oh, I have a migraine. Sorry, I can't go do this. Or, And it just became like a safe excuse because something that people would understand without you having to be confrontational about not wanting to do something. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for helping me to, to verbalize <laughs> this. So I do think that my migraines are psychosomatic in that way. Like I've always known that I get migraines from stress. I've tried all the things, the elimination diet, you know, whatever supplements. And at the end of the day, it's always stress is what caused it. So that's frustrating because it's like, I like I'm doing it to myself, you know, it's not helping me with my anxiety because then I'm like worried about something. And then I start worrying that because I'm worrying, I'm going to get get a a migraine migraine, and then you get mad, you get the (laughs) migraine and the migraine gets worse and you're just like, ah, exactly. But no, I do agree that I think it is a protective mechanism. I think it's another one of those things where I was denying myself what I really wanted. Like if I, if I thought, oh, I want to give a speech. I want to show the world that I have something to say, but I, you know, accidentally get a migraine 10 minutes before the speech. And then I have to cancel because on some level, I'm afraid that if I give that speech and I'm not, you know, the world's next Brene Brown, that the world is going to be like, oh, throw this girl away. She's no good. You know? So it's like, it's so, it's so sad because if I show up and I just give a speech and get through it. I don't have to be perfect. I still have something meaningful to say, especially if I get up on that stage and I'm just being myself. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't mean to like uh, go counselor psychoanalyzing. It just, I've noticed that I, not for migraines, but I would do that same thing as a kid. And so when I hear people, like, especially because I mentioned social anxiety, I was like, I wonder if you know, those two things are connected. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate it because it does feel really great to be able to look back on my migraines and understand why I did them because that's not something I had access to psychologically before. If I knew, right, then I wouldn't be getting the migraines. So it's kind of beautiful to take it apart now and say, like, what, what is this puzzle that has been ruling my life for so long? And to use it as an opportunity to hopefully help other people to undo whatever things that are keeping them stuck. 
yeah, those self-limiting beliefs can evolve into things that we don't recognize or realize that they're there. And then people start pointing them out or you unravel one and then it becomes like that, the onion metaphor, right? Of, okay, I got off one layer and then there's another and then there's another and you're like, how big is this onion? Like, how far do I need to go? Forever. <laughs> it never stops. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's um, it's a journey, that's for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful for people like you that allow us all to share our stories because I think that's one of the things that I love about being authentic now is I see that my story is valuable, that I don't have to hide who I am and that the best gift that I can give the world is to just express my heart because nobody yeah. else has had that same experience. And there's lessons here that I can teach people so that they don't have to learn them the hard way. Like exactly Disney world. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that right there is, you know, why I started speed bumps is just, even if it's someone who's listening, isn't your exact story, right? It's maybe it's a lesson that they can learn and maybe they go share it with a friend who learns from it. And in so many ways, we've lost that art of communication, you know, the where, communities are set up it's not really communities anymore like how often do you how well do you really know your next door neighbor like are the people across right here for a month well for a year rather yeah like you don't really know the people across the street like if you really needed a cup of sugar like would you really feel comfortable knocking on that door and asking for a cup of sugar probably not no i'd instacart that shit (laughs) exactly exactly so that sense of community and Social media is a weird way to create the community, but that's the tool that we have right now. So trying to use it to our advantage. Yeah. And podcasting is great. Yeah. I appreciate this. It feels good to connect. Yeah, it does. And I I like Zoom just rather than talking on a phone because you can see facial expressions. You can, you know, read people. You can see hand gestures. And I talk on the hands a lot. Um, I don't think I'm Italian, but I might be. (laughs) So there was another part of this that you wanted to share. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, I guess you could say like a continuation of the Marco speed bump, mm-hmm. but like part two. So I, here I am out new, newly queer in the world. I decide to get onto the dating apps and I go out on a date with my first girl and she's so cute. She's only like five feet tall. She has really beautiful eyes and I'm just like smitten. I know right away that this is a person that I want to make out with. (laughs) And I just felt so intensely towards her, like physically in a way that I never had with men. So it kind of set me up for failure from the start because I was so much like emotionally invested. Like I just like got lost in that lust feeling, I guess. Mm -hmm that it made it even easier to ignore red flags. It made it even more dangerous, like with a fantasizing habit that I still had, because in my mind, I was like, oh, great, I'm gay. That's why my relationships haven't worked out. So now that I found out that I want to date women, everything's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah, that's an easy answer. (laughs) That's easy. We'll just, we'll fix that. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge part of it. Like it really does solve a lot of the, the frustrations and the needs that weren't being met for me. But really, I brought all of my trauma over, all of my attachment issues are gender transferable. 
So here I was doing basically the same thing that I did with Marco. I got into a new relationship really fast. We kind of were just focusing more on having fun and enjoying each other in the present moment. And I didn't really think about like, are the decisions that I'm making right now actually going to be something that I want a month from now, a year from now? And at the end of the day, this girl didn't really share a lot of my values. We didn't want the same things long-term. So it just started to become a huge like fissure that with every passing day just kept getting wider and wider to the point where there was this massive crevice between us. And the only thing connecting us was like this physical push and pull of like the, the sexual chemistry. And it eventually it imploded. And I feel like I was left yet again being like, holy cow, like, what am I going to get with the program? (laughs) So I ended up just like really diving in and saying, okay, how can I take the spreadsheet of tracking? How can I like bring an awareness to dating like I have never done before? So I ended up working on this theory of how to bring mindfulness into dating so that I could really say, okay, how can I full up fully, how can I show up fully present on a date so that the next time I get on into a relationship, into that honeymoon phase, that I can trust that I'm not going to lose touch with what's logically good for me. Like, how can I monitor so that I just get, don't get so wrapped up in what feels good and make sure that I'm choosing the right person for me. Yeah. So I ended up working with a therapist who lived across the country. We just like zoomed each other and we ended up turning this like little package of the spreadsheet and this theory and all my research into a book, which is now on Amazon. It's called the mindful dating journal. And I hope that it's helping a lot of people. It sure helped me because now when I go out dating, I feel a lot more peaceful. I know that I'm still going to get triggered. I'm still weirdly attracted to people that are going to trigger me. I mean, I think that's just part of chemistry. But now I have the system to say, okay, I'm going to catch it as soon as possible. And then that gives me the opportunity to talk about it and see, is this person somebody that's going to work through it with me? Or is it really like an irreconcilable difference that I need to just cut my losses sooner than later? It brings me like real peace of mind, knowing that I'm checking in on myself. Yeah. And I feel like that comment of cut your losses sooner rather than later. Some people may think like, oh, well, then you didn't give the person a chance. But to your point earlier, why, if you know that there's like an irreconcilable difference and like, why would you continue that? Like, I guess if you're in the phase of just having fun, like maybe, but in my opinion, those are the types of relationships that can cause the most heartbreak. And you're literally setting yourself up for heartbreak. Whereas if you know, like, hey, whatever that irreconcilable difference is, right? Like maybe someone is a staunch vegan and you like to eat meat or political views or religious views or whatever those irreconcilable differences are. Um, that doesn't mean the other person's a bad person. It just means they're not the person for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, this is like a, a kind of a gray area one that was hard for me to decide at the, at the time. Now I can see I made the right choice, but this girl that I was dating was a cigarette smoker and I had smoked cigarettes in college and I had quit at that time for many, many years And in my head, I was like, no, I never want to smoke again. Not something that I want. 
but you know, like once a year I get drunk and I have a cigarette. So I was like, oh, okay, well she's smoking. Maybe I'll just have a cigarette with her tonight. Then I end up having a cigarette with her next weekend. And then before you know it, I'm having a cigarette every time I see her and then I'm buying my own packs. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. Like all these mindless choices that I'm making are now really changing the trajectory of my life, straining my bank account. And it's turning me into somebody that's living a life that's against my values of not smoking. Like I now, you know, you can see who I am. Like I like to run, I like to play and I want to be able to have a body that's really healthy and versatile. So that was one of the things that, you know, telling the story back now, I feel like it's so obvious. Like, why were you with someone that smoked? Like, that's a, that's a deal breaker. If you see that on their dating profile, do not go out on a date with them, which is what I do now. But the old me was like, oh, it's fine. Maybe one day she'll quit or she can smoke. That's not going to affect me. I'll be strong. No, <laughs> I do not have that much willpower. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, knowing that you don't have that willpower is also part of finding who you really are. And that doesn't, like I said, make you a bad person or anything like that. It's like going, Hey, you know what? I can't be around those types of people because I know I want to do that. That's not good for me. So I'm going to choose somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course that wasn't the only reason that we didn't work out by the way, but yeah. (laughs) But it's just, I feel like a lot of times going back to the coffee shop, even a breakup can be done in a kind way, right? Especially, maybe not if it's been years in the making, but in the beginning, if you've only gone on a couple dates, like, hey, really had a fun time, but, you know, this, whatever it is, you know, we just don't see eye to eye. I don't, you know, you're free to make your own choices, but, you know, I can't do that. You know, I respect you as a person, but, you know, I, I wish you the best type deal. And you can say that in a kind way and sure feelings may be hurt, but I would hope that they would appreciate not extending it just for the sake of extending the relationship, knowing that oh, it's yeah. still going to end up bad in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's almost a gift that you give them in that sense. If you realize that they're not your person, the sooner you release them it's going to be fairer or kinder to them. I, when I, when it comes to breaking up now, I try to just keep one thing top of mind and that's integrity because it's going to be hard. It's not going to be fun. Yes. Emotions are going to come up on both sides. They might be potentially really hurt and there's not really much you can do to stop them from being hurt, no matter how kind you say it. Yep. But what I try to do is so that at the end of the day or, or week or however long the process takes, That if I can look back on it and say, I acted in my integrity, I felt like I was kind. I felt like I tried the best that I could to, to, uh, to like say things in a way that also met their needs. You know, like if I know that this person is very sensitive about something then I would try to deliver it in a way that was going to to, uh, cater to that sensitivity, you know, so that at the, when I walk away, all I'm left with is the sad feelings of that loss and not feeling shame or guilt about the breakup. And that's, I think a part of why we hate break breaking up is because we feel icky in that sense. Yeah. I would agree with that statement. I'm just looking like I'm mentally looking back at some of my breakups and I can see, you know, certain instances where things could have gone better either on, you know, 
on, on either side. But then there were some where I was like, I'm really glad that that only lasted a really short time. And we're, we were both just like, you know what? We're just going to part ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't control how the other person acts. You can just, all you have is your your integrity. And that's ultimately what's going to keep you peaceful. Yeah. Do you still work with the therapist that helped you develop the journal? Uh, well, she, she, not like, she's not as my therapist. Oh, now, okay, okay, okay. But like, you know, we, we chat. She's my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know. <laughs> I do have a, I have a separate therapist though, that I've been seeing okay. for several years. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. cool. I think there's this um, almost a fad right now to get therapists. And the reason I say that is a lot of mental health counselors from psychologists to psychiatrists to licensed clinical social workers and all the other letters in between, a lot of them have waiting lists right now. And I don't know if that's a sign that the collective trauma when the world went weird, right? And everyone needed someone or if it's, well, you know, Susie and Johnny are doing it, so I'm going to do it. Like, I don't quite know what it is. Um, But a lot of them have waiting lists right now. And even the ones for kids, which is really sad. Mm. Like, even kids have the, the, the counselors have waiting lists and you're just like, it makes you wonder about society, I guess. Like, why do so many kids, and people can speculate, right? But why are, why is this, I guess, not resurgence, but just surge of everyone needing someone to talk to? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that it is becoming a fad then. And I, I do think that every decade, we're just going to be more and more aware of our emotions and how our behaviors affect others. And just trust that in due time, we'll all be kinder to each other. There's probably going to be some dips along that journey. But as long as all of us just individually works on ourselves, that's the best thing that we can do. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Well, Lauren, I really appreciate you joining me. Um, Everything will be in the show notes, but can you also tell people where to find you? You said the Mindful Dating Journal, that's also on Amazon. So anything that you want to plug, please feel free to plug. Sure. The only thing I'd like to tell you about is my podcast, Date and Peace. Please feel free to join me there. We talk all about mindful dating and it's specifically for anxious daters who aren't a hundred percent straight. I like it. That's very, uh, very niche, very niche. Yeah. I like it. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Like I said, this will all be in the show notes. You can easily click the link and go find that podcast. And thank you, Lauren, again for joining me. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night.